Well, hello, Crossroads. It is so good to be with you all here this morning and uh, just been really anticipating the opportunity to continue this conversation that we've been on over these last couple of weeks where we've just been focusing on this idea of what does it look like for us to live our lives on purpose. And so we've been... Um, for four weeks going through this series called On Mission, as Jeremy just said. And we're thinking about what does it look like for us to live intentionally so that we can see the big picture of what God is doing in the world, and then each one of us finding our place to join him in that. And so when we started this, Ross Chapman in the opening message a couple of weeks ago said this. He said, I'm convinced now more than ever that God is bringing greater clarity to how each person who follows him who is in Christ is on mission with him in their everyday activities where they live, work, and play. And so he walked us, if you remember, through that whole life pie where he described that, that being on mission is not something that we just sort of squeeze into that little extra slice with our extra time, what's left over, but really all of our life is the context for being on mission. We don't have to quit our jobs and join a nonprofit or start uh, working at a church so that we can free up that top half to be on mission, but, but all of our lives is that space where God has given us to be on mission. The whole pie is already Mission, And so we talked about our passions, the things we really care about, our experiences, what has been our life story and the skills and gifts um, God has given us and where he has placed us in that unique place where we are in this time and in this geographic location. And so we're just asking, what would it look like to offer this whole pie to God as a place for us to live on mission? What does it look like if in every area of our lives we move toward what God is doing in the world? And so then we looked at our work. We had a couple of, of uh, uh, members of our Crossroads family join us here on stage. Uh, three people from three different walks of life, working in three different fields, different stages in their lives. But all of them who showed us what they had learned, that, that work is not an interruption to being on mission, but, but work is a place where we can join God in being on mission, no matter what, um, what our particular field is that we're working in. And I loved how Andrea Croslin summarized uh, that panel discussion. She said this, the Lord has placed you where you are on purpose. Being on mission is not, some, not something we have to add on. It's just seeing what we're already doing and where we've already been placed differently. So be encouraged because you may already be doing more than you think. And then last week, Phil presented for us a picture of what does it look like for us to live on mission in our families, maybe our family of origin or what our family looks like us, for us today. Um, he talked about our spiritual family um, through our connection here and in small groups and other places that we're gathered together with our Christian brothers and sisters, and even kind of expanded our minds into thinking about what does it look like for us to open our arms through fostering and through adoption to welcome others into our family. And he said this, if you want a picture of what it looks like to be a family on mission, it's about these two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others the way you love yourself. And so today we're asking the question, what does it look like then for us to live this way in our neighborhoods and around our social groups? And that sentence that Phil spoke last week, I think is a really good jumping off place for us, for us this morning, because Jesus once connected those two ideas loving God with our whole being and loving others the way we love ourselves with this idea of loving our neighbors. And so I want to invite you here to turn, uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, um, you can also follow along on the screen here, to Luke chapter 10, where in this gospel, Jesus tells a very, very simple story in response to a question that he was asked. And so I want to read just the kind of the, the part of this story that sets, the, sets up 
um, this occasion. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, 25 to 29. Luke tells us, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus told a story. And you know, when Jesus tells a story, someone's about to get schooled. He says, there was a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, and he was come upon by robbers. They attacked him, stole all his stuff, and left him for dead. And this would be something that his listeners would track along with. They probably all knew someone that this had happened to. And especially on that 18-mile road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's very hilly. There's lots of curves, stony, rocky, lots of places for bad guys to hide out and attack lone travelers. And so this is what happens. And the man is lying there um, half dead. All of his stuff gone is in a hopeless situation. And eventually, Jesus says, a priest came along. All right, cool. Because priests are experts in those two things. They were professionals at loving God and at loving people. But Jesus tells us the priest saw the man and walked to the other side of the road and continued on his journey. Hmm. Well, eventually, a Levite came along. Now, Levites, this was the tribe of Israel from which priests were chosen. And so they were known for their devotion to God, but maybe they didn't have that full schedule of priestly duties like the other person. He comes, walks along, sees this man, same thing, scoots over to the other side of the road and continues on, leaving this man alone. Like, okay, what's going on here? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where this man was. And at that word Samaritan, every eye would have come up. They would have looked at Jesus, looked at one another. If there had been a soundtrack accompanying this, this is where we would have heard the needle scratch across the record. A Samaritan comes along. The Jews and the Samaritans, you need to know, hated one another for reasons we don't have time to go into this morning, but there's a lot of history there. They have kind of a common background. They were geographically neighbors, but they could not stand each other. They hated one another. But a Samaritan, Luke says in verse 33, um, telling us the words of Jesus, came where the man was, and he saw him, and he took pity. And so here we have three travelers coming to the same place on the road, seeing the same thing, but there was something a little bit different. The priest saw him, the Levite saw him, the Samaritan saw him. But somehow the Samaritan saw him differently. There was something about the way he looked at him. There was something in the scene of this, of this man in need. Maybe we could say that there's distracted scene. There's scene that's kind of thinking about the next thing. And then there's focused scene. There's a scene that's, that doesn't really pay attention to what's right in front of you. And then there's scene that truly catches the, the importance of the moment and sees the value of the person who is right there. And so what Jesus shows us in the telling of this story through the Samaritan is that to be on mission with our neighbors, we see them. We see them in the second way, in this way of recognizing the importance of the moment, 
that there is something significant, even holy in the coming together of our lives, the joining together of our lives and our stories at this place and at this time. And I think for us, that begins with something that we've hit on over these last couple of weeks, and that's this, the reality that God has placed us where we are for a special purpose. In Acts chapter 17, Paul, the apostle, is talking to a group of people in the city of Athens, and he says to them, that God has determined the locations of nations and marked out their boundaries. Why? So that the people in those nations would reach out to God and somehow find him. He's appointed their place and their location in history. And if that's true of nations, I believe that's true of us as well, that God has a purpose in positioning you where you are at this time in history and in this particular geography. Could it be that God has placed you where you live, work, and play For his own purposes, might it be that where you live is not an accident, but it's an assignment? How do you look at your neighbors? How do you look at your social circles? If you knew that where you live is part of God's strategy for helping them come to know his love, for you to be an agent of love and change and transformation and that shalom peace that God's heart is for all of these places in which we live. Well, if that's the case, then we have to learn to see our neighbors and our neighborhoods. We have to be fully present in our homes and in our communities. Over the past couple of weeks, or the past couple of years, rather, there's a couple of things that have helped me see my neighbors, uh, a pandemic and a poet. First, the pandemic. Uh, Like probably many of you, the early months when when things just kind of blew up last year, um, all of our staff was working out of our homes. And so for me, that meant my front porch. My wife and I live in a 100-year-old house down on Gum Street near the University of Evansville. We love the location, but we love our front porch. And so most days, for me, setting up to go to work meant getting some coffee, getting my things out on a, on a, a table that we have on our porch, and in addition to working, just watching my neighborhood walk by. And I had dozens of conversations out on the sidewalk I met people that I had not met before. We traded stories. We talked about how long we had lived there. And, um, and just that forced slowing down caused me to be more present to the moment and to recognize the people in front of me. The poet is Wendell Berry. He's a Kentucky author, and he's written a couple of my favorite novels and some collections of, poet, of poems and essays. And in one of his essays, he describes the location in, in uh, rural Kentucky where he lives. Listen to this. This is so good. He says, I have grown able to be wholeheartedly present here. I'm able to sit and be quiet at the foot of some tree here along Camp Branch, this creek, and feel a deep peace, both in the place and in my awareness of it that not too long ago I was not conscious of the possibility of. This peace is partly in being free of the suspicion that pursued me for most of my life, no matter where I was, that there was perhaps another place I should be, where I would be happier or be better in. It's also partly in the increasingly articulate consciousness of being here and the significance and the importance of being here. Now, if you're like me, you have probably lived significant chunks of your life thinking about the next thing that's going to come and maybe wishing that you were already there, looking forward to the next place or the next job or the next house or the next what, whatever. 
Or maybe there have been times where you've looked back on some idealized point in the past and just sort of long for that location or for that part of your history. But like the Samaritan in our story, beautiful things happen when we begin to pay attention to where we are and fully live in that moment and in that place where we are, who is around us. Now, when you came in this morning, you had the opportunity to pick up a card like this. And um, I hope you haven't like already played tic-tac-toe with your neighbor. Um, but if you haven't, go ahead and pull this out. This is an, just a, a tool that we wanted to give you this morning to help you begin to see where you are and those who live around you. And you can see it's, uh, if, it's like a, if you live in a location where I do, where the streets are laid out like a grid, this is really, really simple to see. Here I am in the middle, and then who lives across the street in a catty corner next door and behind me? Uh, if your neighborhood is maybe a little bit curvy or you live in a rural area where it's just a long road stretched out, you might have to get a little bit creative. But the point is, who lives where I live? Now, um, if you have some blank spots on your card where you don't know the name of the person who lives there, then that's your assignment. Your assignment is to get to know their name. Now, there's a couple of ways you could do that. You could go to the county assessor website, punch in their address, see their name, also see what their tax bill was last year. <laughs> um, but that's kind of cheating and it's a little creepy too. So don't do that. Um, instead, the next time you see that person, instead of just waving and going about your business, walk across the street, step down the sidewalk, have a conversation, tell them your name and ask for theirs as well. And so it, it starts with us moving people from strangers to acquaintances. But how do we go beyond that? What does the next step look like? Well, Jesus tells us that after the Samaritan saw the man and took pity on him, he went to him. And I think in a similar way for us to be on mission with our neighbors, we go to them. For the Samaritan, it meant moving toward this man, not away. It meant stepping over to the side of the road where he was lying, not walking along the other side of the road and continuing his journey. I was talking with a friend this week and just sort of imagining the, like how this story might have played out. What could have been the conversation between these two men? Uh, wondering if, uh, if the fact that, that this Jewish man was in such dire straits, if that kind of changed the conversation, recognizing in any other circumstance, these guys would have been repelled from one another. They would not have talked with one another at all. Did they talk about that? Was, like, was that part of how they engaged with one another in this story? And so I was just wondering all of that stuff out loud, and my friend's like, um, like, you do know these guys didn't really exist, right? <laughs> like, this is just a story that Jesus made up. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's probably true. But our neighbors do exist. And so how do we move from acquaintances to friends? Well, I think that it begins with prayer. We pray for our neighbors, even if we don't know them or barely know them. One of the uh, tools that, that we introduced here a couple of years ago that I think some of you are still using. It's just a website and an app that's called Bless Every Home, blesseveryhome.com, or you can search that where you download apps onto your phone. And it's a great tool that will help you just see here's where you live, here's who lives around you, and begin to pray for them. Um, another thing that you might do is just walk down your block and pray for the homes as you come to them, uh, or each apartment or each uh, floor in the dorm where you live. Whatever your circumstances are, you can pray for the neighbors around you just by kind of in walking in those spaces. Now, you might ask, well, what do I pray for, especially if I don't know them? Well, I, can I tell you about an acrostic that I learned a couple of years ago that has been really helpful to me and I still use it. It's just the word bless, B-L-E-S-S. -S. And those letters stand for body, labor, emotional, 
social, and spiritual. So when we pray for body, what we're really thinking about is their physical health, their physical needs, um, their home, adequate food, those kinds of things. Uh, Work and finances are what we pray for when we come to the next letter, labor. Emotional, we think about things like peace and healing, and that they would be free of anxiety or depression as, as so many people are living in these days. When we pray for their social lives, we're thinking about their family, their relational world, the, the, their friendships, even their relationships with their neighbors that are right around them. And then, of course, the most important is that they would come to know God's love and that they would be able to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ as we pray for their spiritual lives. So start by praying and just see what God opens up. See what he does with that. A couple of weeks ago, I made sort of a commitment to myself, and I said, okay, every day this week, I'm going to prayer walk my block, just down to the end of my block, not that long, and back, and see if I can meet some new people, people that I haven't met before. And so I started doing that, did that every day, until I came to one day. It's about halfway through the week, and it was like nighttime. My mind was already heading toward bed, and it was dark outside, and I remembered, oh, you know, I I haven't done that today. And I started thinking, well, you know, the whole purpose of this is to meet people. No one's going to be outside. And I just thought, okay, I just need to let me throw on, throw on some shoes and put on a jacket and grab my dog, and, and at least I can pray. So I started doing this. First house, be body. Second house, labor, emotional. Just down, down the street, I went. And when I got nearly to the end of the block, maybe 15 houses down, um, someone, a man, walked right kind of in front of me across the sidewalk to his car parked in front of his house there on the street. And so I just said something neighborly like, nice weather we're having or something, you know, something kind of bland like that. And he said something back and I said something else. And truly a half hour later, we were still talking and uh, we had shared about um, how long we've lived on that block and what our, our home is like and what we do. And he said that he had lost some friends to COVID and was just really feeling a lot of anxiety and stress about that. And he asked, I wonder where God is in all of this. And so we just shared about that. Me standing there with holding on to the leash with my dog, who was very patient, and him leaning over the roof of his car. And, um, and I got his name, he got mine, I know where he lives. And I just was thinking in that moment, <laughs> Like, this feels kind of significant. <laughs> like, this feels like maybe an answer to prayer. And so what we can do is pray, pray. And the whole time, I was not really saying a whole lot. I was just asking questions. Not interrogating, but just asking friendly questions and allowing him to share. And that's what we can do as we pray. We can become students of our neighborhood, students of our neighbors. We can join the HOA or join the Neighborhood Association. Another great app for your phones, and you might just even write this down on the back of your card, is it's called um, Nextdoor. It's just the Nextdoor app or website. And again, this is a great way for you to hear what are your neighbors talking about. It's kind of like social media, but just for your neighborhood. It helps you keep the finger on the pulse of what's going on in your neighborhood. What are the needs? What are the concerns? What are the events that are taking place? It's a great, great app, a great app that I strongly encourage you to grab. But we learn the history of our community, both the good and the bad, the joys and the, the scars as well. To be a good neighbor is to be a student of our neighborhood. In that same essay I read from a few minutes ago, Wendell Berry said this. He said, a man ought to study the wilderness of a place before applying to it ways he learned in another place. Did you catch that? Like, 
Don't assume that what worked in another wilderness is gonna work in this wilderness. And what's true of uh, forests and wild spaces is true of our neighborhoods as well. That maybe what worked for you in a place that you lived before to help make a difference, to help bring about shalom, it might not work in your current context. And so become a student. Find what is God already doing in this place? Because here's what you need to know, that if there is a story of your neighborhood, it was being written long before you got there. And it's gonna continue after you leave. That God is already at work. So find those people who care about that neighborhood, who are already engaged, who are already making a difference. Become a student of them. Become a disciple, so to speak, of what they're doing. Join them. Learn so that you can also participate. We don't go into our neighborhoods as saviors, there's only one savior. We go in as learners so that we can find out what does it look like for us to help make a difference here. And we just ask God to open those doors. And so then when we've prayed and we've learned and we've asked these questions, then like the Samaritan, we can begin to care for our neighbors. We can begin to love them as we're on mission with them. And by love, I don't mean that kind of emotional feeling of love. What I mean is like the practical, serving, giving, sacrificial kind of love. It's the give and take. It's the no strings attached kind of love that Jesus has. And for the Samaritan, that meant expressing love in some very practical ways. It meant providing some health care as he reached down and he tended to the wounds of this man. It meant providing some transportation as he helped him get up onto his donkey and took him to a place where he was providing temporary housing for him, a hotel. And he met with the hotel uh, owner and said, um, care for him. Here's some money to take to to take care of his bills. But if you need more, don't let that stop you from giving him what he needs. On my way back, I'll even up with you. And so he gave financial assistance as that, is, as that was needed as well. For you, it'll probably be different. It'll be the convergence of what are the needs of your neighbor? What are people already doing? What is God already doing? And then what has God put in you? What do you bring to the, da- what, what do you bring to the table? And what are the shape and the unfolding of those friendships that you're beginning to develop? And because that's such a unique thing, I ask some of our Crossroads friends, like, what does it look like for you? How do you love your neighbors? How do you live on mission in your neighborhood? And uh, one person said, well, I love my neighbors by bringing a meal after they've had surgery, which kind of assumes a couple of things. Number one, that they consider you a close enough friend that they're going to tell you what's going on in their life and that you know, you know a little bit of that story. It also, you got to know, do they have food allergies, right? So you got to talk. There has to be conversation before the care. One guy said that there are a couple of older gentlemen that live in his neighborhood alone, separate, separate homes, and, and he sometimes just stops by just to listen, just to talk, to offer encouragement and prayer. And he said one of them in particular is just, just has a lot of things going on in his life, a lot of cares and concerns, and just kind of needs someone that he can dump that truck on, someone who cares and someone who will listen. One lady said that after she moved into her neighborhood, she was very intentional about getting to know the names of the people who lived around her. So she started walking a lot, just like what we've been describing, um, purposefully doing yard work in her front yard. And she said, once I got to know their names, then it was like, okay, I want to do more. And so she, um, she said, I started baking banana nut bread and dropping it off. And when I would grill, I would make extra to bring to my neighbors. And so when I got her, uh, got her email, I looked up her address, went to Zillow to see if there are any open houses around her, because like, who wouldn't want to be her neighbor, right? A regular dose of uh, banana nut bread sounds pretty good to me. 
Another couple created a hot chocolate bar for grown-ups who stopped by at Halloween just to extend that normal Halloween transaction by a couple of minutes to have conversation and to trade names. You know, there are so many ways for us to love our neighbors, and God has already shown us a little of what that looks like. We started, if you remember, several weeks ago by that vision of the city that God is building and reconstructing in this world, that he wants to create wherever people are gathered together. And that city will one day become the new Jerusalem where we live in complete harmony with God and with one another. And we looked at that image of the city from Isaiah chapter 65. And it's a place where there is delight and there's joy as we see. And so we can offer that joy, um, even if it's something like banana nut bread, to my neighbors. We can love people from the oldest to the youngest. We can, like does mowing their yard or stopping off food or paying an electric bill, does that help with food and with a a clean place to live? Can I help create a safe space for a child by coming alongside someone like Allison who shared her fostering story last week and just being there to encourage and drop off a meal every now and then and, and offer maybe some financial assistance to help with Christmas, whatever. There are so many ways to love. And it all is within our reach, especially, especially when we do it together. One of the questions that we've been asking around here for a while is what would it look like for our Crossroads family to know who are our our friends, our Crossroads friends who live right around me? And what would it look like for us to create just kind of groupings where, where there's mutual care, where we're looking out for one another, where we get to know each other's names, where we're then locking arms and reaching out to our community, walking and praying in our neighborhoods, looking for ways that together we can meet needs. And so we've just been dreaming about that. We've been looking at maps and neighborhoods and where people are living. This is actually, this is you all. This is Crossroads families scattered in the area just within like a half mile of where we are right now. And it extends through Throughout our whole city. What would, it look be, what would it look like for us to gather those people, gather you all in, in neighborhood kind of groups? And if that sounds intriguing to you at all, if you're like internally you're going, yes, I think I, I would love to be a part of something like that. Uh, one of our pastors, Denny Stevenson, uh, is going to have a brief info meeting uh, just all the way across the atrium in the chapel, uh, just a couple of minutes after we finish our service. You'll just get to walk through the Christmas tree forest and, um, and have a, a brief three-minute meeting with him where he'll share just a little bit of the heart of what we're talking about and get some information to you and, and maybe even a little bit of a gift to you as well. Well, we're going to end our time this morning by talking about one of my truly great loves, ice cream. So Missy and I met in Cincinnati, Ohio, my wife and I, and we lived the first three years of our married lives together there. And Cincinnati is the home of graders. Any of you guys know graders, ice cream? Yes. For the rest of you, like the next time you go through Cincinnati, pull it up on a map. There's lots of them around the area. Find a graders. There's even one up in Noblesville. You can get one there too as well. But it is, it is truly a very important and powerful religious experience, uh, having graders ice cream the first time. And we have our favorites. Black raspberry chocolate chunk is Missy's. Uh, I like mocha chocolate chip. It's just so, so, so good. But sometimes we want to kind of step away from our go-to flavors. And you know how that works in an ice cream place, right? They give you a sample. And they use a little spoon like the one on your card And so you taste that, you know, you get that mystery flavor. You put it in your mouth and you close your eyes and you imagine, "Hmm, what would two scoops and a waffle cone taste like? (laughs) This is so good. 
And you, you decide based on that little taste, that little sample. And that, that sample is like the promise of ice cream to come. And so through this series, we've looked at where we live and where we work and where we play. And I think that sample spoon is a great picture of what we are to be in the world. That we are to just hand out samples of the goodness of God to the people around us in all of those spaces. We're just like little sample spoons, giving people a taste of the kingdom, a taste of what that city to our families and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. And in little ways and in big ways, we give a sample of what God's city is like. And so we just got, so we say, God, help me to do that. Just help me to start. And if you do, I promise you, God is going to move in some big ways. And I also promise you, you're not going to get it right every time. You're not. Uh, I remember uh, uh, an event that happened this summer. I was doing a lot of driving for Uber Eats, which you heard about Uber from one of the people on the panel. Uh, Uber Eats is where you pick up food at a restaurant and then you leave it on the front porch of of, of the home of the person who ordered that. It's like Uber for introverts because you really don't have to talk to anybody. And so um, my wife and I celebrated our 30th anniversary this summer. And so I was trying to save for that and earn a little bit of extra. And there was one night while I was Ubering, it was just a terrible, terrible night. Like everything went wrong. And you know, with that sort of thing, if you're waiting, if you're standing around, you don't, you don't get paid. You're just waiting. And every restaurant, there was a wait. Or, um, or there had to be some substitution. They didn't have the thing that was ordered, and I've got to call the customer and see if they'll take this instead of that. And it was just that kind of night. And so finally, I, I rolled up to a restaurant on Green River Road, went in, told them I'm from Uber, the name of the customer, and uh, there were a couple of college-age kids there, a guy and a girl, and, and the girl disappears. She goes to check on the order. And like five minutes later, I'm still standing out there. And then the, the other kid said, let me go, let me see what I can find out. So it's another two or three minutes. Finally, he comes out and he says, hey man, I hate to tell you this, but there was a mix up. The order just got put in. It's going to be 25 minutes. So um, you know how you can be rude without like really being rude? That's, that was what, like I was very thankful that I had a mask on, right? Because, uh, because I was a little bit a little bit cold, cold to this poor kid. And so I, I just stood there and was, you know, looking up something on my phone. And then I had that, like, you know, you get that little itch inside that's like, okay, don't be that guy. Like, don't be a jerk. And so I thought, all right, I'm, I'm going to just chat this kid up. I'm going to talk to him. And so I started asking questions. Like, are you a student? Okay, cool. What school? What are you studying? What are you majoring? Do you like it? What do you want to do when you... So I was just asking all of these questions, and he was giving me answers. And, and then finally, he looked at me kind of funny, and he said, have you preached at Crossroads? <laughs> I was never so glad to have that little itch that said, don't be a jerk, because I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I think you might know my uncle, His, you know, it's this guy, and he was one of the, he mentioned the name of one of our elders who really and truly is one of my good friends. And so like, oh, we talked about that. We took a selfie and sent it to him and all of that fun stuff. And, and I just, I'm like, I, I, walking away from that, driving away from that, I just thought I have so much to learn, right? I just, I have so much to learn and so much to grow in this idea of being on mission with the people around me. But I, had, I want to tell you, friends, that this is not impossible. It's not. And it's not impossible because it's God who is the designer and builder of this city. And it's Jesus Christ who lives in us. And it's the Holy Spirit who awakens love for our neighbors in us and, and gives us what we need to love them well. 
And we can take delight in our neighborhood. We can take delight in the people around us because God delights in us. The the Bible says that God sings over us, that he delights in you. Not the you that, like the you that never made mistakes, not the best version of you, the ideal you, not the you that never went down that wrong pathway or the you who has always lived up to your potential. No, he loves the you that you see in the mirror. He looks at you, he sees you, and he takes great delight in you. And we can offer that to other people because we've seen that in ourselves. We can reach out to love the youngest and the oldest around us because God knew our name before he ever said, let there be light. And Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you every day, all the way to the end, to our very last breath and beyond, he's with us. And we can find joy and meeting and offering housing and food to the people around us because Jesus, who is our bread of life and who gives us living water, has said, I go to prepare a home for you in my Father's house. There is a home waiting for you. And we can give people a sample of the hope that God has given us because God in his great mercy has given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we can be agents of reconciliation and of peace and of transformation because there was a day when we were lying by the side of the road. There was a day that we were beat up, maybe by this world, maybe by our own sin and choices. But God saw us. He saw us and he came close to us through Jesus. And he reached down and he healed our wounds and he picked us up And he gave us a new life, and he loved us. And for the good of our city and the glory of God, he invites us to do the same. Would you pray with me? Father, it is, um, wow, it's such an amazing thing to remember our stories and to remember that there was, there was somebody once who came close to us and shared your love, gave us a sample, maybe as a parent, maybe a teacher, maybe a spouse, maybe a neighbor, maybe somebody who just by the way they lived their lives gave us a taste. And we saw something beautiful in Jesus living through them and we wanted that for ourselves. And you were there, God, not to just give us a sample. <laughs> like you unloaded the whole thing on us. You gave us everything we need. You withheld nothing from us. And Father, thank you that you trust us, that you love us, and that trust is an expression of that love. You trust us so much that you you have said, join me in this. And and you know what? There's, There's no other way. My only way of loving this world is through you. And I just want to love you and love your neighborhood through you. I want to love your coworkers through you, love your city through you, love people to the ends of the earth through you. Thank you for that kind of love that we can never earn or deserve. The only thing we can do is respond to it and offer it to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.